It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, with its own needs. Something in your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no seats. The ladder from the platter with the fear fight down, like fire in a fire. This is the gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the fury beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a world of wistful wisdom in a wishful world. <laughs> I just said world twice. You got it out. I messed that up. <laughs> All right. Well, anyhow, I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner, which is what... A-R-N-P stands for. <laughs> case That's right. What does one? that stand I for? I know. People wonder. Well, we could make something up, and I don't have time right now. <laughs> um, and a really nice person. Also- A-R-N-P, a really nice person. <gasps> no way. There you go. That Thanks. was so good. I know. Off the top of your I know. cute little my head. My old, old geezerish brain. Oh, look. I just found seed on my... Jeans. Oh, you're out in the garden. Out again. in the garden. Again. Yep. Oh, the seeds love to attack my pants, <laughs> so they can be spread amongst the garden. Thank you, weeds. Anyway, well, I w- think I said I'm also known as Nurse Amy. I don't before know. Before I got distracted didn't. by these seeds, seeds all over, all over my... your hands, right? Oh my gosh. Well, together we this is are crazy. <laughs> we are the prodigious pair. We are the beauty and the beast. We are the queen and the codger. We are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, <laughs> have you been injured in an accident with a felonious ferret? Well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. Ferrets smell. I, I don't know why How people... How dare you? They do. Lots of people they love ferrets. They have a very have, musky odor. We have a large clientele of... Of ferrets? Of ferret listeners. <laughs> ferret-owning listeners. <laughs> well, but if they're used to it, that's fine. You know, it's funny. I actually, I'm sure I've told people this. I had a pet skunk. Oh, when I was that's young. right. Yes. Yep. And even if you have their uh, glands, <laughs> <laughs> so to speak, their glands removed, their odorous producing glands, <laughs> malodorous, they still have a stench. And oh, it boy. reminds me of ferrets, except that our skunk. Um, for the most part, lived outdoors. <laughs> so we didn't have to smell it in the house. Anyway. A wise move. Yeah, absolutely. And it, by the way, it got to be the biggest skunk ever in the world. Where'd you feed it? 
Skunk, I skunk re- chow? I was little. I, I don't know. I don't remember. But this thing got huge. Small hog size? It was the biggest no skunk you've ever seen. I'm telling you, this thing was at least 24 inches long. Dang. It was huge. It was like some freakazoid uh-huh. mega skunk. Did you pet it and <laughs> hold it in your arms and stuff? I don't remember. I think we were affectionate to it. I, I think I remember being in space. It had a cute little face. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um. And, you know, the black and white coloring is so oh, pretty. Yeah, very pretty. That's why people love um, those uh, panda bears. Oh, yeah. Because of the black and white. So it was very cute. Anyway, all information given, yes. <laughs> obviously. Oh, that's right. And opinions voiced on the Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only. And do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract nor provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the host and listeners. Dr. Bones and RCME strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but when the chips are down, when things aren't looking up, will you know what to do if somebody gets sick or injured? Well, prove to the world you got more sense than God gave a duck by learning what to do for injuries and illness. <laughs> you should have said God gave a skunk. Gave a skunk. Oh, there you go. Well, the that skunk may have, have some sense. Well, by learning what to do for injuries and illness when a disaster hits. And while you're at it, doesn't it just make common sense, ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. to get some supplies and maybe a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge? I sure think so. And what better place to get it? Then the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. Thank you. They'll help you handle medical issues. You're welcome. Uh, you'll fit that you'll face at any disaster. You're designing them. A real nurse practitioner is designing them, and me, an honest to gosh medical doctor. <laughs> and I. Yes, will... but you're not allowed to pack them. Uh, yes. Uh, is... Why is that? I was so good at it. No, because you don't listen to me. Mm. <laughs> Why? Well, because I'm... I have things that have to go in precise, exact locations for reasons that are known to me. Uh, <laughs> now, the funny thing about it, the funny thing about it is that I tell people to take those kits apart and put oh, them together that. so that it makes sense. They should for never them. do it that. Should. They should make no. it personal for them. No, you know, just because you I've think done... something should be in a certain place. <laughs> Doesn't mean that they should. Everyone is. Well, you know what? I promise. Most of the things that they put back in, they're going to want to put them right back in the same spots. And And by the way, probably true. If you do disassemble Amy's kits, do it one small section at a time. Otherwise, you're going to wind up with a big pile of stuff and forget where I actually put it. (laughs) So do it in small sections if you want to do that. (laughs) Absolutely. That's my recommendation. (laughs) Well, I challenge anyone out there to compare our kits for contents and quality and cost with anybody else's stuff or just ask anyone who's ever bought one of our kits and you know what you're going to agree our kits are the ones you should have in your medical storage hey you know we learn as much from you as you do from us probably more so cast some pearls of wisdom before us and reach out to old dr bones and nurse amy it's easy here she is to tell you how absolutely you can contact us anytime by email at drbonespodcast at AOL.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones. That's just DR, though. DR Bones and Nurse Amy. Did you spill some coffee? Just the tiniest, <laughs> tiniest bit. Oh, honey, honey, honey. We are drinking coffee in case you hear slurping and 
cups being put down. It's it's in the morning. It is morning. I need my coffee. Right now for us. Okay. So anyway, that was survival medicine. DR Bones and Nurse Amy is the survival group on Facebook. We also have a page where if you go like and follow that one, you will see all of the latest stuff that we're doing. That is Doom and Bloom. Surprise. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> that would actually make sense. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, DR Bones Nurse Amy. Lots of different types. I, we started all these at different types, so they all have different I names. Know. I think the very... We've got to change the, that somehow. It's not possible. The first mm-hmm. thing we did... Because we had a show and nothing else it was at Prepper Show. Someone right. told us we needed to get on this thing called Twitter. Twitter, yes. <laughs> this the, Twitter. You got to get on the Twitter. I had the little birdie <laughs> and we're like, yeah. what the heck is this? So we're preppers and yes. we were doing a show. So it, that made logical sense. Yes. <laughs> we needed to be a presence on the interweb. And, yeah, right. <laughs> now maybe it's not so good. Facebook is getting spanked around. Yeah, well, they deserve it. Well, they are gathering all of our information. You know, all of us of a certain generation, at least, grew up reading uh, George Orwell's 1984. Oh, yeah, Big and, Brother. And so we're seeing this happen in front of our very eyes from the beginning. The surveillance and the information gathering and the propaganda and influencing the public to do what you know, the greater whatever they are, gods, <laughs> they, yes. they want to believe they are, want us to do, you know, and, and we have our eyes open because, you know, we read about all of these things in that book and kind of are, are aware that they're happening. But some of them are sneakier than others. I knew Facebook was strictly a data gathering site and he pretended that it's, oh, it's for college, whatever. It, it, Almost immediately said, oh, how can we monetize this? Oh, sure. Let's make some money. Well, what do you do? You get a bunch of people to put what they like and who they're connected to and what their jobs are what and what they at shop. The <laughs> what are all their favorite hobbies? And, and you gather data. And then this person's data can be sold to advertisers or to campaigns. Right. <laughs> Which, I mean, who didn't know that one was happening? So... We've used something for free, but we've given them so much of ourselves. Yes. Unfortunately, if you didn't want this gathered, they should actually have a pay side. If you pay a, a fee, mm-hmm. in, instead of having your data gathered, you can maintain 100% privacy. Right. How could you that, prove that? They're doing that, though. Well, That's uh, they would problem. have to be honorable. Yo, the question is, okay. face, is Facebook <laughs> trustworthy? Yes, well, and I don't think they not. are. Clearly not. I don't think they given, are. Given the latest. So news. anybody who's a tech person and young and energetic, well, they don't have to be young, but they need to be energetic because it sounds like a lot of work. If you put up an alternative to Facebook right now, I think it would it would catch on like fire, and I, I think whoever did it would be a multi billionaire. Like, what's his name is? What's his name? Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. Well, maybe I can't we forget his put, face, but I don't, never remember his name. put together Bookface. But something. We'll call it Bookface. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be a funnier name for it. <laughs> but that, that's really funny. <laughs> Just flipping it around. But I truly believe if somebody put a quality uh, program out there and said, you know, for $5 a month, 
I'm not going to gather your fee, but you're going to pay that $5 a month, so I so we don't have to gather your fee. We can still have paid advertisers, but we're not giving them any of your data. They're not going to know that Susie Jones likes to sew and, you know, buys chicken on Fridays for Saturday dinners. Mm-hmm. That they're not going to know that. So I really think there's an opportunity for someone to make a mint. There's no competition for this dude. I agree. He's got a monopoly. It's like Amazon. These things are really getting a little scary, folks. I think so. That Twitter, you know, guess who owns Instagram? Facebook. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it's not like you can even get away from it. It's an octopus. snatching it's an up o- these little it's companies. An octopus. It really is. It is. So anyway, keep your data private. Don't share so much on Facebook if you can help it. Nobody really needs to know what you ate for dinner on Sundays. Uh, pertinent things, uh, things that you think are interesting, knowledge, education. I think those are all really awesome things to share. Uh, events that are coming up that people might want to know about. You know, there's certain things that you know, things that should be shared, but we're putting way too much personal information into the hands of people that obviously, like you said, we can't trust. So folks, just be careful what you say, what you post. Um, Those pictures of your child growing up are never going away. So if your kid's naked in a bathtub when he goes to get a job, his boss might just find that picture and maybe finds it offensive. So be careful what you post about your children, too, because that's going to possibly follow them around for the rest of their lives. Uh, we, I think we just need to step back. We've trusted Facebook a little too much. We need to step back and just really take a look at, at what they're doing with the things that we write and say. Apparently, they had something called Messenger that yes. if you agree to that on an Android, it tracked the phone numbers you were calling. Oh, boy. Can you imagine? Okay. I uh, mean, that's like having Big Brother standing right over your shoulder going, okay, what phone number did you dial? Okay, let's write that down. So, scary stuff. And uh, maybe we just need to give them less less information to handle about, about our lives and our family's lives. Anyway, that's my spiel. And uh, I think... <laughs> Very, very wise advice. Just some advice. I was, it was bothering me. Well, we were back this whole from Facebook thing. We're back from Texas, where we were at the Self Reliance Expo under new ownership, and they did an excellent job. Kiki I thought I had a good it. number of people uh, at the at the expo, and we. Oh, I actually have stats. She said stats. She said there were seventy five exhibitors. Oh yeah, I have this. Yeah. Well, Here that's we go. A lot. Seventy five exhibitors, twenty five speakers. That's right, including Six, me. Yes, including you. Mm-hmm. Six classes. Uh, and including they had, ours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and booth side classes. I guess people set up a little uh-huh. classroom. We should do that. I think you talked about doing that next time. Yes. Having a little table and some right. chairs. Right. Demonstrate tourniquet, the use of tourniquets, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, maybe a wet-to-dry Short dressing. little things, yeah. yeah. Um, they had eight community partners. Um, a giant scavenger hunt. Yes, I saw that. I, <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> and we gave away some DVDs. We gave yep, away lots a, of giveaways. A, a medical kit that was actually the funny thing is that it was. We did our one, compact. It was right. It was won by a 
Long, long time listener. Long time listener who had the day before, not even related to her winning the the prize, the day before had given me a couple of pens, wooden pens with wooden uh, covers. Really nice That were fashioned by her father before he died. Made by her father, crafted by him. I don't have permission to mention her name, but, but I do want to th- if you're out there listening thank you so much they are heirlooms in our family that was now. heartfelt they are really beautiful that was very sweet yeah, and we and we appreciate it and someone gave me a bottle of wine oh nice <laughs> oh and also i'm uh, not going to say his name <laughs> and also we have uh, i i can say that um friends of ours named cliff and arlene who were members of our first mutual assistance group many years ago uh, actually donated some old medical books to Dr. Bones' Mystical Library of Knowledge. So if you have some <laughs> is old... Is that a real thing? <laughs> it is indeed. As you can see, it's, it's a mess. <laughs> needs needs to be some organized a little better. If you have some old hardcover medical books about 100 years old that don't go with your modern decor and oh, yeah. your, your computer uh, station... Feel free to contact me at drbonespodcast at aol.com with some images. I might just add them to the mystical library. But you know what is really funny? That sounds like the um, donate your cars. Oh. Cars uh, for kids. Cars for kids. Book, right. Books for bones. Books for bones. Books for bones. 1-800. B-O-N-E-S. Books for bones. 1-800-books-for-bones. All right. That's not a real B-O-N-E-S, phone number. B-O-N-E-S, books for bones. Oh, no, I got you started. Donate your books today. I'm gonna all right, hear, well, Folks, I'm going to hear this all day long. <laughs> books for bones. All right, well. Someone's going to bring this up five years from now, and you and I are going to look at each other like, what? Did we really sing a song on well, the radio? <laughs> well, thanks, thanks to Cliff and Arlene. Anyhow. Hey, I want... I, <laughs> Hey, we're actually supposed to talk about medical stuff here. All right. So well, let's no, talk I'm a little having bit. fun, honey. I'm, I'm going to talk a little <laughs> bit about wound closure. Oh, and, that's fun, though. And, and we got to talk. Oh, yes. Well, that's one of the, actually, one of the fun things that we do on our. Because it's active. Uh, on our, in our classes yeah. is the actual hands-on wound care and suturing and stapling class. That is uh, a lot of fun, but it's important to know when you're supposed to close, you're right. when you're not supposed to close. These things are Imperative if you're going to keep people healthy. Tell me if you need more coffee. I'll go get it for you. I'm I'm, <clears throat> I'm happy to. I need more coffee. No, no. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> just let me know, darling. I'll well, make a coffee run to the kitchen. You're the bomb. When a laceration occurs, our body has a natural armor. It's called the skin, and it is breached. And sure enough, bacteria get a free ride to the rest of our body if we let them. Therefore, it makes common sense that we want to close that breach to speed healing and lock out infection. However, there's controversy as to whether or not you should close a wound in a survival setting. And it's important to know when and why you should choose to close a wound or leave a wound open and what kind of method you should use to close it. Now, a laceration can be closed by sutures, can be closed by staples, can be closed by tapes like uh, Steri-Strips or butterfly closures, uh, medical superglues like Dermabond, maybe even industrial superglue like superglue. Now, after rendering first aid for a wound, an open wound, which, of course, that involves flushing out foreign objects, Flushing out bacteria. Vigorously good, flushing. Right. A good irrigation syringe is, is important. You can find them on our website. We have, uh, I think, 60 or... Is it 60 uh, or 100? Uh, there's CC. 60s. Okay. And and that will allow you to give some power to 
the flushing, the really get out that debris, that's that's really, really important. So you have to do that. You have to control bleeding. Of course, we've talked <clears> about that many times. You have to uh, maybe even apply antiseptics. So you have to make a decision as to what to do, whether you should close a wound or not. To close or not to close. That's the <laughs> question. That is the question. Yes. So what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? What's your goal when you close a wound? It's pretty simple. You close wounds to repair the defect in your body's armor, the skin, to eliminate dead space, which are pockets of air and fluid that can contain bacteria. And, and that happens when you get a deeper right. laceration. Yes, exactly. It's not just a skin scratch. It's it's yeah. something that goes through fat and, and muscle, maybe, mm -hmm. things like that. And, of course, you want to promote healing. So that's why you'd like to close a wound. But, and also, a well-approximated wound will have less scarring. Now, of course, that's not as big an issue in survival, but it is a factor. You know, it sounds like all wounds should be closed, right? Well, the truth is, is that closing a wound that should be left open does a lot more harm than good. It could possibly put your patient's life at risk. And there was a, a case of a young girl that was injured in Georgia, I think, uh, in a zip line accident yes. some years ago. And she's got hurt from the zip line. Somehow it, it whipped into her leg. Yeah. And she fell in the water. Right, exactly. And so she had an open wound and then fell immediately into a lake. Right, which has all sorts of contaminated. Critters, right. You know? So she was taken to the local emergency room and 22 staples were needed to close a, a pretty big uh, laceration. Now, unfortunately, that wound had dangerous bacteria in it from either the water or maybe she hit some, you know, was in, hit some dirt or something like that. And it caused a serious infection, which spread throughout her body. It's one of those flesh-eating bacteria that oh. travel from place to place. And unfortunately, she wound up getting multiple amputations, her hands, part of her leg, almost her whole leg on the side that was actually originally injured. And there's an important lesson to be learned from here, that the decision to close a wound is not automatic. It involves a number of considerations. Now, of course... The most important consideration is whether you're dealing with a clean or a dirty wound. And most wounds you're going to encounter in off-grid settings are going to be dirty. And if you try to close a dirty wound, you're sequestering bacteria and junk in your body. And sure enough, the infected wound will become red, swollen, and hot in a very short period of time. You might even form an abscess, a pus ball. Absolutely. Now, let's just talk about why a wound would be dirty in those kind of settings. First of all... We're probably going to be butchering and cutting up dead animals for mm -hmm. meat. So a lot of your cutting tools will have been used for those purposes. There's not going to be the really hot water from a dishwasher to help clean things and not sterilize them, but, you know, sanitize them. Uh, if you don't boil your instruments immediately after using them, maybe, you know, just put it down and then someone gets injured. That is contaminated. Also, not only are the things around us dirty that could hurt us, cut us, uh, cause injury, but our bodies are going to be less clean. Right. The skin's going to be dirty, and too. We, probably, exactly. Right? So we have, we have every day, even if you shower every day, you still have things that live on your skin. Naturally, some are now, more... Those are okay are, on your skin, but not in your body. Exactly. And that's the whole point. Some of this bacteria is okay on your skin. It's not going to cause any problem. But when it gets into your body through an injury, 
that caused the problem. So with less bathing, which is natural, everyone's going to try to conserve the water use right. for drinking unless you have you know, a beautiful lake next to you and everybody can go clean every day, you're probably not going to be as, as clean as you are now. And so just your skin being dirty will contribute. Even if you cut yourself with a, quote, sterile instrument, you could still have a dirty wound. So you have to look at it happens. not only what hurt you, what it looks like or where it's been or touched, but your skin, how clean was your skin at that time? Right. And then did somebody touch your injury with their dirty hands right. and not some nice clean gloves on? You're absolutely So right. if the instrument or, or offending, um, damaging instrument do, doesn't get you and your skin is clean, somebody could touch you and actually contaminate a wound. This happens in hospitals all the time. Right. There are hospital-based infections, weird infections that occur. <laughs> exactly. People come in without an infection. Maybe they have a surgery in a sterile operating room, and they come out, and days later, somehow, they get a respiratory infection or they get a wound infection that should not be there. This is a hospital-acquired. So even in the hospitals that we consider you know, the, the cleanest places on earth, unless you've actually worked there and You've looked under stretchers and realized they're not really so clean. That it, coming outside of that environment, it just gets worse. <laughs> you know, right. things just get worse. And and somebody changing your dressing may have forgotten to wash their hands and or didn't have enough gloves to put on when they're changing it. So you could actually get an infection after you get injured too. Oh, absolutely. So there's a lot of points during the healing process that that things could turn for the worse. Absolutely right. Infections can certainly spread into the bloodstream, something that we call septicemia. And, of course, there's if if you actually go into bone and things like that, there are actually bone-type infections. Which are like really hard to very, cure. Yeah. In general, you have to decide, decide whether that wound is appropriate to close. There are other considerations. I mean... I, I hope everyone's listening and realizing we're we're basically telling you don't close wounds outside of, well, of normal times is probably not a great idea. That's true. I mean, there are factors, though. I mean, is it a simple laceration, a straight, thin cut on the skin? Right. Is it uh, an area where areas of skin have been actually torn out or hanging flaps? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, some wounds can be very surgical in appearance and other ones look can look like you were in the oh, general yeah. vicinity um, of a grenade when it went right up. right you know so or a grinder so or these, something that's that's the thing so that is something that's pretty important and uh, you have to also figure out whether the edges of the skin of are so far apart that they couldn't be stitched together in any case without undue pressure and in this circumstance you know if you try to put a stitch on one side and get to the other side you put so much tension on it that you could either cut cut through the skin or eventually, I think it prevent your body would just wearing. Yeah, your body would end up uh, breaking down where that tension is and just sort of eating away at it as That's if right. it had just pulled out immediately because the tension on it will have decreased uh, blood flow. That's right. That's so if you have if you have to pull the edges together with too much tension, it's not a good wound to close. 
Exactly right. So we're just giving a long list of reasons not to close wounds. <laughs> well, I mean, there are reasons Here to are close Here are messages. It. If, if it hasn't been, if you know the circumstances of the injury, if you know that it has it occurred relatively recently, let's say less than six to eight hours, if it's more than eight hours, you should probably leave that wound open. And the, you have to realize that even the air has bacteria. And if it's more than eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, well, it's likely that the bacteria that is in the air, there is indeed, there's bacteria in the air, good chance that that bacteria has already colonized that injury. Right. If you and have closing not, it would be a big idea. Exactly. Mistake. If that wound was not immediately cleaned, or like you said, within a short few hours, bacteria starts colonizing. You can't see it, but it's happening. So closing the wound after that short window of six to eight hours with a wound that you're not sure how it was cleaned or how it happened or, or who took care of it, you're taking a chance. So literally there are like really narrow things that you're looking at. What injured them? Right. Was this dirty or, or very clean? Right, right. What um, the circumstances were. Exactly. Sure. Uh, was it exposed to some contaminated water? Did somebody run over and get the lake water that someone's unsure of the cleanliness and use that to clean the wound? Right. <laughs> Here, I'll clean your wound up. Right. With Even if you didn't fall in the lake, mud. if you use contaminated water, it's still the same thing. That's absolutely right. Uh, so, and you have to know, did the was the person wearing gloves? What was their technique for cleaning this wound? Um, so you have to know that it was clean, that it wasn't contaminated. So the, the water that was used to flush it is known to be clean, which means potable. That means you can drink it. If, if you know that source is clean drinkable, drink, yes. exactly, without causing illness or diarrhea, then you can use it to clean a wound. So you have to look at these things. And that window, basically, even if it was clean, it was injured with something that, that was not dirty, uh, you shouldn't close it up. It's so, kind of too late. So our audience started off thinking that every wound should be closed. Right. Now you've convinced them that no wound should be closed. Very rarely. And now I'm going to tell you the circumstances under which you should close there you go. a wound in that circumstance. Under, okay. under unique situations. That's right. I mean, you have a, a wound that's clean, that you know is clean, that it's less than eight hours old. Yep. And uh, here's some other factors. That, that, that the laceration is very long and very deep. In other words, it's not something that would be easily healed on its own. Uh, and the exception, I think, would be like puncture bites from animal, uh, inflicted by animals. Good point. These bites are, in most cases, loaded with bacteria and should be, which should be kept open. At, not the bacteria, but the wound should be kept open in <laughs> For, in austere so settings. So you can clean absolutely. it, clean it, clean it, clean it, clean it, clean it some more, clean it again. That's absolutely. Absolutely right. Now, this wound should be closed if it's located over a joint. Uh, moving parts such as the knee, you have to remember that's going to constantly stress a wound. It'll prevent it from closing in by itself. If you try to keep that wound open... Every you know, single time, time the person walks or bends the knee, they're just going to be ripping that back open. Exactly it's right. It's very, very difficult to heal on moving parts. Now, this is not meaning that we're telling you to put in 45 stitches in a small wound. You might only need one, 
two, maybe three. Right. It depends on just whether to it's, get it together. Right. If it's over a, a joint, you need more, obviously, because yep. there's more s- strain on that joint. Yep. But if it's like on the inside of your forearm, it doesn't have to be as those st- sutures or staples don't have to be as close together. Or and you... when we teach the class, we teach them to basically take the length of the wound, cut that smack dab in half. Put one stitch there, or, or one staple, depends on what you're using, and then take those two sides and cut those in half and if put they're, one. If they're still gaping. Exact, right. Exactly, on the other, on either side. So that's three. And even with a, a pretty long wound, that's going to bring the sides together, and you can always mix your closure methods and use some tapes. Right, some uh, Steri-Strips, I think, would be a very reasonable yeah, thing. Yeah, butterfly use bandages. butterfly bandages, even duct tape in some circumstances. Exactly. In, in survival situations. We really should say that this is not the way I was taught to close a wound. Usually, we started off on one side of a wound. We just made our way over to the other side. Sometimes, not doing individual sutures, but doing what we call a continuous closure, where there's only one knot on one side, and one knot on the other side. Now, that's great for somebody that does that on, on a daily basis, but if you don't, and you as medic, even in times of trouble, hopefully won't have to do that on a daily basis, that, well, then you should probably do single sutures instead of one big, long, continuous suture that one bad knot on one end or the other makes the whole thing unravel. Uh, you know, just do each suture separately so that one bad suture does not affect the integrity of the wound. So that's something that you could see uh, in our video, our old video on our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones Nurse Amy. I think it's called How to Suit Your Skin with Dr. Bones. So you can take a look at that. Now, of course, if a wound gapes open very loosely and suggesting that it can be closed without undue pressure on the skin, especially if it has several different layers that are cut, for example, this all the way through the subcutaneous fat, all the way through muscle, then you've got to, if you're going to retain function of that limb, you're going to want to close some of that, put some of that muscle together, put some of the maybe tendons together, things like that. Those are things that may have to be done in order to reach, to regain full use of that limb. Now, if you're unsure about a wound, whether to close a wound or not, you can wait maybe 48 to 72 hours before closing it and take care of it as an open wound for a period of time to see if signs of infection do develop. In other words, redness or swelling, uh, accumulation of pus, foul odor, things like that. We can call that a secondary or a delayed closure. And some wounds sometimes are partially closed and allowing a small open space to allow to keep an eye on the wound, and also maybe to place a small drain, uh, either some latex from a glove or uh, some gauze to allow inflammatory fluid to sort of wick out. So those are things that you can certainly use that would allow you to make a decision in two or three days as to whether you want to close that wound or not. And if that wound gets infected, you'll be glad you didn't close it, and if not, you can just close it two or three days later. That's something that is very commonly done. Now, wounds that require closure, and some that don't, by the way, deep wounds should be considered a closure candidate unless they are inflicted by an animal. Of course, animal bites have a lot of bacteria in them. Cat bites especially are common. 
with regards to that. The snake bites, less so. They cause their own problem because of the venom, but most snake bites actually don't have a lot of bacteria associated with them. You might be surprised. Interesting. To know, you might be surprised to know that. Yeah. So, with your wound closure, of course, uh, if you're going to keep it open, I want you to, uh, as I mentioned, I think a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. have some wet four by fours or other gauze. Wring uh, uh, it out so it's just damp. I don't want it soaking wet. And you place it all the way in the wound, pack it into the wound, all the way up to the skin. Just one quick thing, sterile water, sterile gauze, if possible. Now, I'm asking for the top of the mountain, so just get as close as you can to those two things because that has contact with the inside of the wound for long periods of time. You're only probably changing the dressing. If you're lucky, try to change it twice a day. If, if you don't have much supplies, do it once a day. But that has contact within that wound, so you need the purest, cleanest, most sterile, sanitized, all the words to get to the highest point, which is sterile. If you can't get there, get as close as you can um, for both the water and the gauze. For a lot of wounds, you might even consider And the gloves, too, by the way. What you're touching, these items, if you have sterile gloves and you're not introducing any outside bacteria either. You might consider using oral antibiotics in some of these cases. Good uh, point. For people not allergic to penicillin, uh, amoxicillin or fishmox or keflex. Fishflex has a, it, it's actually not a penicillin, but it's cross reacts with penicillin. Some people are allergic to penicillin or allergic to uh, keflex or fishflex. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're allergic to penicillin, you might consider something like fish sin, that's clindamycin. So these are good additions to your medical storage. Of course, uh, there are natural substances with antibiotic properties, such as raw and processed honey, garlic, perhaps, might be another choice. I would say that if you have access to raw and processed honey, that it is not a bad idea in survival situations, or even if you have little cuts now, if you want to use it, to put that on the wound And then if you had an open wound, you could put your packing over that and then cover it with a dry dressing. Or if you have little cuts or burns, little scrapes, you can put just a dab of raw honey instead of a neosporin or a triple antibiotic ointment. Yep. Use use it in place of that. And that's something something that could be self-sustaining. You'll run out in a long-term survival situation. Unless you have bees. Right. (laughs) You'll not run out of honey. I'm talking about running out of antibiotics. Oh, okay. You can can reproduce... (laughs) Honey. Absolutely. We're talking about topicals here, too. Exactly. We're talking um, also about various methods to close. Now, there are different methods, and you want to use the simplest and least invasive method that will do the job. Now, when I say non-invasive or least invasive, I mean the ones that do the least damage to the person. The non-poking. How about this? The The non-poking version. Staples, obviously, (laughs) have pointy pointy ends. A needle and a spread have a pointy end. And every time that you place a stitch or place a staple, you're making two holes in the skin where you go in and where you go out. Yep. And so in that circumstance, remember the skin is your armor. You're making holes in your armor by using these various methods. More access to bacteria, the more holes you have. Exactly. So you want that not only for that purpose, but also if you really believe that some bad thing is going to happen one day, 
whatever sutures and staples you happen to have, mm-hmm. that's it. They're probably not going to be making this stuff anymore right. if you're the person doing the suturing and stapling. Well, certainly they're not going to be making sterile ones. But if you have cotton fields and you got a, a spinner. <laughs> a loom. <laughs> well, that's for, that's for cloth. The yeah. spinning wheel. You, you have a way to make, you know, yeah. thread and you have a half circle sewing needles you're not going to get sterile, though. Right. But you can get pretty close to it in a pressure cooker. The thing with cotton thread, though, is that they, it does leak little fibers, and these fibers are yeah. uh, may cause some reaction. However, I don't think it doesn't happen are, in most cases. I don't. Right. Well, I was just trying to think of something that is is renewable, which would be cotton and making your own thread, and then these right. half-circled needles from... Um, Partially, if you lived in China, you are, could make silk. <laughs> Yes. We silkworms. Well, I was trying to think of the other things. There's, you're not going to be able to make nylon. You're you're probably not going to be able to get a hold of silk. So cotton is going to be probably the only thing right. that you would. Very thin fishing line would be a good thing to have. Not that a bad idea. Essentially is nylon. Yeah. And it double times is some fishing line so you can catch some fish. There you go. <laughs> So it might not be a bad idea, but let me let's talk. I want to talk a little bit about tapes and glues. Okay. All right. These make sense for a number of reasons. One, they're less painful to place mm-hmm. for the patient. Uh, unlike sutures or staples, they don't cause additional punctures in the skin, so less risk for infection. Uh, materials are less expensive. You can get more of them and have them available. And in a survival setting, more advanced. Closure methods like sutures and staples may not be manufactured anymore. So Absolutely. your supply is limited. Absolutely. Now, I think I think the thing that people are probably um, emphasizing most is the pain. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I have to tell you, probably every single day we get a question, how do I get lidocaine? Can I get lidocaine? Where do I get lidocaine? Yeah, if you can't get lidocaine, you could try IV it Benadryl. It is prescription, by the way. Yeah. But so is but that IV is prescription Benadryl. Too. But you, might, you never know where you might find it if you end up in a pharmacy and uh, abandoned pharmacy abandoned. after the zombie apocalypse. You might they find mu- it. Who knows? And they might not care about the... They probably would care about the lidocaine. They probably aren't going to pay any attention to liquid Benadryl. Right. So I guess if you had a pilfered pharmacy, that might be something that would be right. left on the floor in there a box That's exactly <laughs> somewhere. Right. But you have probably higher chance of finding that. But they well, are both prescription, just to be right. clear. Well, one thing that you wouldn't need them for would be to place strips or yes. butterfly closures. These are sort of adhesive bandages that adhere on each side of the wound and help pull it together. They don't require puncturing the skin. They'll fall off on their own over time. Uh, even duct tape can be used to make a butterfly closure. Now, there is, for additional security to keep these things together, a type of glue called tincture of benzoin comes in a little vial you break it and you apply it to the skin on each side of the laceration before applying the tapes allow it to dry and the, and if you put these on those things will stay on for a good long time even when they're wet so that's something that's worth looking at don't get steri strips for your medical storage without also getting tincture of benzoin i think we have a combination one on the website somewhere that you can get both in one package. Now, another non-invasive method is cyanoacrylate, which is special glue in medical uh, versions that are prescription. It's called Dermabond, but there are also other ones um, that are industrial superglue. Those are also cyanoacrylate. They just have two a chemical chain that's slightly different from the medical version. Now, the medical version is uh, an excellent thing. It's made specifically for use on, on skin, 
and causes maybe a little less chance for irritation. What you might do is take everybody you're going to take care of in a survival situation and put one drop of super glue, for example, on each uh, on the inside of the forearm. See what happens in 24 hours. If there's no reaction, then that person probably you could use skin glues uh, that are industrial strength. Now, why do I say that? Why can I, instead of saying, well, you must have the prescription, ver prescription version? Well, that's because there are a lot of countries that don't have two nickels to rub together. And those countries, places like Cuba, oftentimes use superglue, industrial strength superglue, to close minor lacerations. And so that's something to consider that, you know, they claim, they even claim lower infection rates on what we have in the United States with the, with the prescription stuff. I don't know if I believe it, but <laughs> but the truth of the matter is is that it's worth a you shot. Don't, wait, you don't believe what I, they say? In Cuba? Well, well, the good thing is that these glues actually create an environment which speeds healing and decreases the risk of infection, causes a seal. And what I'd like you to do is you can find uh, glues that ha are in gel form. They're easier to handle. And I think they're indicated for wounds where there is little or no tension in a, not, in a wound that's not bleeding, and that is not over a joint. And by the way, they're not for use inside the mouth. So if, there's, if you have a cut on the inside of your cheek, you shouldn't use it for that. Now, to use a topical skin adhesive glue, what you have to do is hold the skin edges carefully. That's best done by somebody else, an assistant. And then you put the glue over the laceration itself, making sure not to push any below the level of the skin. If you do, and you're separating the two edges of the skin with glue that's going to harden, that's bad. Okay, so, so I just want to be super clear about the super glue, <laughs> that you need to hold that wound super closed <laughs> when you're applying the super glue on top. Super, absolutely. It is like a cover. It is not to be placed in the wound edges and pushed together if, like right. you were repairing a piece of wood or a broken coffee cup. Right. And also it's I not the same technique. It's like a varnish. You don't put varnish on the inside of something that's broken. You put it on the outside. This right. is a varnish. Exactly. And also I want you to do several mm -hmm. layers. I want you to put one layer on and allow that to dry, then put a second layer on, and then go a little further afield around it in a in an ever-widening arc or oval and allow that to dry. Then do another layer. So I have a good three layers of adhesive over the wound. Three layers allow of varnish. To, there you go. Okay. And it's going to be shiny. There you go, right. <laughs> and, and it will actually be shiny. And, you know, if you widen the area of glue each time, that'll help increase the strength of closure. Now, once completely dry, you might even consider adding strips on top to increase the strength of the closure. But do not use antibiotic Ointment, ointment because it causes the disintegration of the glue, but, which is very bad. But honey wouldn't do it. But the, you're not going to need to do any of that anyway because the your seal, wound is sealed. Right, that seals. Your wound is sealed with the varnish of super glue. Right. So it doesn't matter what you would put on the outside. So it, it no antibiotic ointment. No, you don't even need honey. Penetrating it at all. Right, exactly. If it is, that means you didn't put enough coating on. Exactly right. So uh, you have to remember that closures with uh, glues and, and strips and things like that are just not as strong as closure with more invasive methods like sutures and staples. So if you're dealing with a an area over a joint, then yep. an area that's going to get a lot of stress, right. well, then you probably need to use sutures and staples. So, But not a lot of them. Exactly right. As described before. That's right. Now, 
Sutures are maybe the most versatile closure methods methods for serious wounds. I want to talk about when to use one versus the other, sutures mm -hmm. versus staples. Uh, today's <clears throat> sutures are comprised of a string attached to or swaged to the end of a needle. And so that makes a unit, one unit, instead of a separate unit, needle and thread, which although you may want to have those also, that these are one unit in modern times. They're, they're made of different types of material and will talk about different suture materials in a future show. Both t techniques, the sutures and staples, involve putting additional punctures in the skin. Don't forget, so that's why they call them invasive. So when do you choose between a sutures and staples? Now, staples are useful in any situation where you have a nice straight laceration where only the skin needs to be closed. And that's something that's very useful. Now, for deep layers of tissue that need to be uh, approximated, and lacerations that are really weird, jagged in appearance, mm -hmm. well, you probably should consider <clears throat> sutures, which allow you to do a little more sort of uh, custom type of closure. Uh, sutures can be used in deep layers or on skin, whereas staples in general are used only on skin. Uh, sutures are best for the jagged lacerations, as I mentioned. It, sutures take more skill to perform well. When we do our classes, it probably takes... The longest, about probably five times as long to teach people how to place sutures oh, as place staples. More absolute, than that, probably ten oh, times. Oh my maybe. gosh! It's, it's the staples are so fast. Right, it's so easy that you'll always <clears throat> be tempted to use staples, man. That's probably what happened to those the, in that emergency room with that girl in Georgia. Amy, her name yeah, is Amy. Who they it was just so easy to close it. That's probably they <sighs> say, okay, well, let's just close it. Well, anyhow, sutures, you can perform them alone, whereas it takes an assistant to really do a good job closing a wound with staples. Now, interestingly enough, the, the assistant is actually the skilled labor when it comes to stapling a wound closed. The guy using the stapler is actually the unskilled labor. Yes. Um, there are a lot of materials to choose from with sutures, but staples are pretty much regular and large. That's yeah. pretty much your choices <laughs> with regards to... Staplers. There are, of course, very fancy staple instruments that they use to approximate intestines, but those cost about a thousand bucks each, and they're something. And no that one's going to be doing that surgery, opening up any bellies in survival situations. Right. Those for are many, hard realities. For many, many, many reasons. Yes, very hard realities. That are not going to cut anyone open. Yes. Despite the stories that are in books. Exactly right. That, that is the thing, you know, is that you're just going to have to accept that to some people, I mean, if those if their intestines aren't together, it's probably going to be very unlikely you're going to be able to put them together <sighs> successfully and have that person survive. Mm. Um, suturing is uh, very time-consuming compared to stapling, which is why pe people like to use staples. Mm -hmm. um, you do have to, I do will say this about staples, you do need the special instrument, a, sa a staple remover to get those staples out later on. Uh, yes, which and, bends the staple sides up right. by compressing the middle of the staple. So the sides lift up like, like arms coming out of the skin. That's they right. They bend upward. So it's uh, one of those things that... Any staple removal w remover will work. Uh -huh. By the time you take the staples out, that laceration has at least a nice scab on it. So that staple remover does not have to be sterile. You know, it's always best whenever you're get getting near even a previous open wound to have the cleanest thing possible. But if you just had a staple remover 
that you used for regular staple staples, that would suffice. It's the same mechanism in the the professional sterile one. So just so you know, in case you had to. <laughs> exactly. So those are some of the <clears throat> factors that go into making a decision between sutures and staples. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, we're going to be in a number of different places. Are in we? The rest of the Already? year. Already again? Going, we're going to <laughs> North Carolina soon, aren't we? Yes, we are going to be at the Mother Earth News Fair. Uh-huh. That's what they call it, Mother Earth News Fair. Um, it's actually located in Fletcher, North Carolina, but I think they say Asheville. No, it's not terribly which is, far you from know, Asheville. down the street. Even mm. some of the hotels. Two miles away. Yeah, even some of the hotels that are nearby are located in Asheville instead of Fletcher. Great, great show. I well, believe this might be the fourth year. I think yeah. this is the fourth year. Uh-huh. They've had a third or fourth. But um, they've had it there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent show. Yes, nice a area. lot of animals. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful area. Um, Good people, great exhibitors. Right. You find all kinds of homesteading, gardening, um, oils. There's classes on how to make cheese and how to make sauerkraut and how to butcher animals and all sorts of incredible things. So that is on April 28th and 29th. And we'll have all our medical kits there. So if you need a medical kit, definitely come by. Yes, we're going to drive there from South Florida. Absolutely. Then the following weekend... We will be at a show called RK, that's two letters, RK Prepper Show, and um, that one is the south side of Atlanta. Oh, I think it's called the Atlanta Convention Center. Um, Anyway, RK Prepper Shows, I have information, I will be doing a suture class on that Sunday, and that's May 5th and 6th, so May 6th. Sunday, I'm going to do it at noon, so if you folks want to go to church in the morning, that's fine. I usually do it in the morning, early, um, but I decided to make it a little later. So anyway, 12 noon, and we're, that's a two-day show also. Awesome. All right, and of course, we're going to be traveling the country the rest of the year, too, uh, as we approach some of the other events. We'll let you know about them. That's all the time we have for the Survival Medicine Hour <laughs> with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We hope you like the show, and we'll be back. Don't forget 1-800-BONES. Books Books for for bones. bones. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.